What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. My next guest is an intuitive tarot card reader with over 30 years of experience. During readings, she is able to have moments of clear sentience, which is tuning into the feelings of others, and clear audience, which is hearing words and thoughts related to the reading. As someone who has learned directly from this person, as well as had several readings, I can tell you she is gentle and caring, while not sugarcoating the messages she receives. I can't wait to learn more about how she realized her gifts and how she learned to share those gifts with others. Chris Bothman, welcome to Montrospective. Thanks for having me, Heather. I have been excited to talk to you for a long time. We've known each other for some time now. I mean, probably close to at least, what, a year and a half, two years almost? You've been reading yeah, for me? I'd say a couple of years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I've taken tarot reading classes from you, which have been super helpful. And you've been my personal reader now for a while. And I have to tell people, this woman is so accurate. It's scary. So if you don't want to know what's coming up in your life, don't, don't go to Chris. Just yeah, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I love about you. Is you have such a gentle way of sharing messages with people. But like I said, not sugarcoating it. You're going to tell people the messages you're receiving in the gentlest way you can, but people need to be prepared for what you're going to share. Um, and I, I love that about you. It's why I've continuously come back to you time and time again. But we're going to start off today with talking about your childhood, how you grew up um, and what your influences were um, as a child. Okay, where do I begin? Ooh, at the beginning, I guess. Um, grew up in a really small town of about a thousand people. So yeah, yeah, real small and you know, right, right in the country, pretty much. Um, so it's one of those, I don't know, just nice, idealistic, um, fun childhoods, you know, where you could go outside and play and ride your bikes and skateboard and camp out in the backyard, all that fun stuff. And, you know, way different life than, than today. Um, what gosh. were you daydreaming? What were you daydreaming about as a kid for what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, that's a great question. I really never knew for sure. I knew that I didn't want to be a doctor or a nurse or anything like that because I'm scared of needles. Blood doesn't bother me, but like the needles freak me out. 
So I'm it like, all bothers me. <laughs> Last person to go into the medical field. <laughs> That's for sure. And I never really thought too much about what I wanted to do um, until probably high school, I guess, would be probably the, the time where you kind of have to pick something that you want to do. I knew I would go to college, definitely knew that. Went to um, CMSU, now UCM, in Warrensburg, and studied education. And I got to thinking, man, what are my choices here? What do I like to do? I'm like, I don't really know. Um, so I had some great teachers in school. So I thought, well, you know what? Let's just give it a shot and try. Always loved English, literature, reading, all that good stuff. Um, so I went ahead and majored in English and um, focused on education. And wound up getting my degree in uh, teaching and ended up certified in English 7th through 12th grade. And then I heard people saying, you know, there's not a lot you can do with just one area of focus. I didn't take a minor. I took a functional major, so extra hours in my subject area. And I got to thinking, well, what else do I like? Well, history. And I had a lot of hours in history. So I went back for, I think, a semester and a half, um, did a little summer school in there um, after I graduated and got enough hours to get my teacher certification in history. And that took me like middle, middle school, seventh through ninth grade, thereabouts. And um, from that point on, I was like, well, what else would I do? I would be a teacher. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got my, my start um, in kind of taking a look at what I wanted to do. And I landed in the job market at the time um, where we had a big recession. So not many jobs were available. Most people in the English field were either staying until they retired or until they died <laughs> couldn't come back <laughs> to the job because they weren't around anymore. Um, so it was a really, really tough job market. So I substituted for three years full time for five small school districts simultaneously. So whoever called me got me first, basically. And um, did that really got my feet wet and knew, yeah, this is this is what I want to continue doing. And then eventually landed my job um, teaching English and social studies in a private alternative school in the Kansas City area. And that was an experience, I will say. <laughs> Did you always like working with children? Was that something you saw yourself doing and that's why you became a teacher or? Um, I, you know, I ne it's, I'm just the weirdest person because I never factored that in. <laughs> I knew um, that if I, I babysat, you know, most teenage girls do. Um, but I knew that if I wanted to go into ed education, I would be taking a look at probably the older kids, middle and high school, as opposed to the younger kids. And um, the more I substituted, the more I thought, yeah, I think I'm making a better choice uh, looking toward working with older kids. And mainly for me, it's because they're so conversational. Uh, you can talk to them and they get what you're saying. And I have a bizarre sense of humor. And a lot of times you're like, oh, I got that. That was funny. I'm like, yes, thank you. Nobody else does. <laughs> One of those. So it, it really never, I never factored in like what age group I would want to work with so much until I just got in there and started doing it. And then I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of headed in the right direction. And um, now I work with elementary students. So I, I taught high school for nine years, I think it was. And then I, I had a second job at a university library, and I decided I was kind of done in education at the time, because in small schools, you're on every committee, 
Um, you do every activity, gate money for ball games, after hours, all of that stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm sick all the time. I just can't, can't do this. And by the time I made that decision, I was teaching the upper level English classes. So literature classes, research, writing, uh, electives, mythology, things like that. So had a, a lot of research papers to grade and um, a English department chair for a while. So a lot of stuff on my plate. And I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. And thankfully, the part-time job I had, which was evenings and weekends, usually four to midnight uh, during the week, and then shorter hours on Saturday or a Sunday, um, they had a day job that was created to fill a need that they had. And I applied and got hired and ended up being a a circulation department manager for uh, Rockhurst University, their library. And my job basically was um, hiring the student workers, putting their schedule together, uh, managing what their, their roles were going to be in their jobs. And then it just kind of expanded into working with interlibrary loan, um, in-house, with, also with the consortium of other universities and colleges that were part of that system. And, and it just kept growing bigger and bigger. And um, it, it was a really neat experience. And that's how I got my feet wet in the library world to the point where I thought, you know what, I really want to go back and get an advanced degree. And um, library sounds like a cool place to be. So I applied for uh, the Missouri State Library uh, Scholarship through the Secretary of State's office. No longer exists, but when, when the money was there, they had a a scholarship that was available and I applied and lo and behold, I had an interview and um, I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of cool. I'm not sure if I'm answering their questions the right way, but I'll do my best. And I got chosen. <laughs> so I won a full ride scholarship for my library program. So I went through MU in Columbia and did their distance program and got my master's degree. So I worked full time and completed my master's program in two years. Well, I was oh my gosh. Yeah, so I just put it in gear. Of course, I work at a university library, so I had lots of resources available, and um, able. they were so gracious, they allowed me to do some shifting of my schedule as needed, and uh, they were really great working with me and allowing me access to resources and able to get that program finished. And before I had finished the program, one of my advisors had contacted me and said, hey, there's a, a job that I think you'd be interested in in public school, and here's the information, and contact this person. And she really, she knows that you're going to contact her. She wants to hear from you. Well, I was on vacation. I was out of the country <laughs> with a group. So I, I emailed her back and said, oh, thanks, but I'm out of the country. And as soon as I get home, I will be happy to contact her. And she contacted me two more times saying, have you gotten a hold of her? I'm like, well, I already explained. I'm out of the country. <laughs> Internet is really hard to come by right now. And uh, I got back. I'd been back a day. And the lady called me and said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So we talked about an hour and a half to two hours. And before the phone call was over, she said, you're the one I want for the job. And it was her K-5 library. And um, I'm like, ooh, what do I do? <laughs> K-5. <laughs> I'm certified in this, but I've had no experience working with K-5 other than doing substitute work. And it, it didn't matter. I mean, it was one of those where she said, we still have to meet in person, but I really want to offer you the job. 
when can you come in? I said, you let me know. I just got back. I got back yesterday, but I can come anytime. And um, within a couple of days, I was scheduled for an interview. And I always say everything happens for a reason, I guess is the best way to say it. Kind of cliche. The morning of my interview, it had been raining, and I got up earlier than I would normally get up and had everything ready, dressed, ready to go. And for some reason, I was literally about an hour and a half ahead of my schedule. And she called me an hour before the interview and said, uh, we had a cancellation. Could you go ahead and come now? And thankfully, I lived in town, so that was a good thing. And um, I said, sure, it's probably going to take me about 15 to 20 minutes to get there because it's been raining and just want to make sure I'm careful in traffic. She goes, oh, not a problem. You know, if you can leave now, we're ready for you. She was standing outside the building waiting for me under an umbrella <laughs> when I pulled up. So it was, it was literally meant to be. And I talked maybe about an hour and went ahead and went back to work after the interview. And they called me just about the time I got back to work and sat down at my desk and offered me the job. So 16 years later. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how everything lines up? You know, I mean, yeah. it's incredible. And so that's what you're still doing today. You're that's what I'm still doing librarian today. and yeah. Yeah. School yeah. librarian. And, and um, it wasn't nearly as painful as I thought it was going to be working with K five kids <laughs> and my older sister. She's so wise. I said, oh, my gosh, yeah, they cry, they pee, they poop. And she laughs, goes, you have six nieces and nephews. What's the problem? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> there is no problem. <laughs> well, and it's got to be fun and interesting to see young minds at work, you know, especially these days and everything. So I'm sure that, yeah. you know, kind of lights up your day every day to see these, you know, little kids come in and be interested in learning and want to ask questions and be inquisitive and everything. So. Sure. Oh, yeah. They totally are so, um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, curious. They're, they're so, yeah, they're curious, and they're also fascinating. I have some kids who come in who are just all over, oh, my gosh, I see that. That's a new book. I want that. And it could be, you know, clear across the room. I don't know how they saw it or how they noticed it, but they sure did. You know, I want that. And other kids walk in like, yeah, this is not cool. I don't need to be here. <laughs> I want to go outside and play. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So those are the kids where I just I, I ask, like, well, what do you like? You know, what are you interested in? And they'll give me this weird look like, I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> I was like, just tell me, what do you like? Do you like space? Do you like weather? Do you like animals? And if I can engage them in a short little conversation about what they like, then I can point them in a direction them up with something that we might have that might actually be interesting to them and then maybe they won't say I don't want to be here this is not cool <laughs> well that's a, a perfect transition you know you've been pointing people in the right direction or in a different direction you know outside of being a librarian you are a intuitive tarot card reader how did you figure out that you were intuitive and how did you translate that into tarot card reading mm, that's a great question well, I will say that um, starting as long ago as I could remember, I would notice, ooh, there's, and I always tell the story, there's this man um, walking across the backyard. And I'd say, who's that man? He's walking across the backyard. And everybody would look at me like I was a nut, like there's nobody there. I'm thinking, but yes, there is somebody there. <laughs> and I would describe, here's what he looks like. And um, they'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nobody there. And I got to thinking, well, this is kind of interesting. That, and it, it's funny. I had a conversation with my younger sister not too long ago about this very thing. 
And she goes, yeah, we never thought anything of it. You'd say, oh, I saw somebody there, or I heard this, or I noticed that. She goes, yeah, that's just what you did. We just never thought anything odd or strange about it. it just, they just thought you had an active imagination. You're, not even that. It was like, well, this is Chris. And if she said she saw it, she saw it. You know, that's just what it is. Um, so those kind of little things happened and, you know, was able to see spirit a lot more um, than as I got older. And I kept thinking, well, this is kind of neat and kind of cool, but I never really, such a late bloomer, never put the connections together and never really thought too much about it. Um, didn't talk about it at school. That's just one of the things that, you know, totally just keep it at home. And I grew up in, in the, oh, in, in, in a family where you kept your family business within the family, kept it quiet and um, really kind of a leave it to beaver type of um, experience, if you will, you know, not that anything was perfect, but you know, you just kept it inside. You didn't take anything out. So I've never really talked about it. And I'd say, oh man, this happened. And my sister's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and then really when high school rolled around, I kind of just never really thought too much about it. Everything just kind of got pushed over to the side, if you will. It wasn't until college I was, you know, thinking this is really, you know, interesting. And I've had these experiences and had some more, um, I'd almost call them like haunted house experiences, you know, going places and noticing that there was something else there that nobody else could see, but we could feel it. And, and, um, really, you know, gauge that this felt like a positive situation or maybe not so positive. Random, went to a Renaissance festival and I thought, man, I've got 20 bucks in my pocket. What am I going to do with this $20? And I saw a sign for tarot card readings. Didn't really know what tarot cards were. Uh, never had a reading before. And I handed over my 20 bucks and sat down and um, the lady was very nice. And she had this whole giant cards um, that they used mainly for show, like kind of cool. And she shuffled and she started laying out the cards. And the first thing she did was go, <gasps> and of course, not ever having a reading before, not knowing what she's doing, I mean, totally kind of freaked me out just a little bit. And I'm pretty calm. <laughs> Things don't freak me out too much. And I sat there and kind of gave her a look. And she goes, I don't know why you're here. And I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. And she said, well, you should be doing this. You don't need to be sitting here in front of me having me doing a reading for you. You could do this. And she proceeded to talk more about doing readings and being intuitive and being able to see spirit. She didn't know me from Adam. How would she know that I could do these things? Or, and I try to be very poker-faced a lot of times because I don't want to give away, like, well, I don't want to lead this person, like, oh, she's got me, you know, she's hooked me. And... Um, she said, the older you get, the more that you work with this and you study and you focus, you'll be able to do four or five different types of readings. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's good. <laughs> I'll take that advice with me and I'll just go on my way. Well, then, of course, you know, marinated on it and thought about it. So I went ahead and ordered myself a deck of tarot cards. And I started out with the traditional Rider Waite and, um, attached myself to that little book like crazy, <laughs> not knowing that I really didn't need to, uh, but I felt, you know, this is something new, I'm pretty insecure with this, how does it work? And um, really worked hard on just learning the different parts of the deck and uh, becoming more familiar and read for friends and family quite a bit and it, more of a novelty than anything. But I didn't realize how accurate I was in the readings until 
reaction after reaction from people. I'm like, okay, there must be something here. I'm you know, not quite tuned into trusting myself yet with this. And um, after hearing people say, why don't you just put the book down and just put the cards out there and just go for it. So I started doing that. And that's where it got kind of scary even for me because it was so uncanny, uh, the things that I was coming up with. But then it led me to, well, how am I getting this information? Like, how do I know this? And how do I know what I'm supposed to say to the person who's sitting across from me? That was, was like that d defining moment. Like, mm, okay, she's got something here. Now we need to figure out how to work with it. And what do we do? How do we learn more? Where do we get information? And that kind of started the journey of, okay, I've got something called intuition here. And, and uh, now I need to figure out what more can I do with it? How long did it take you to trust your intuition? How much okay. practice? How much so, <laughs> so my first tarot deck, um, I got back in 1991. And I didn't read professionally. And I, I label that professionally because I actually um, read in a, a venue where people would buy a ticket and um, exchange the ticket for the reading. Um, so that was 2010. So it took a long time for me to trust like, okay. And people kept saying, this is great. You need to do this. And why are you um, not doing this? You need to get out there. And finally, I just took a leap of faith and um, went ahead and, and made that move. And I have not looked back. So 2020, you're still, still going, still doing readings. So now with your intuitiveness, do you see symbols um, from your own personal life that, you know, make you kind of clue in with where spirit is, is taking you? Or do you, you know, hear the messages directly? We talked a little bit about, um, or I mentioned it in the beginning, that you're clairsentient as well as clairaudience. So if you want to talk a little bit about what that means as well. It's a mixture. I started out um, hearing random words. I'd be looking at a spread and talking and then almost like a voice inside my head was, I'm thinking, well, where did that come from? I know that was not me. And then it got to where I would start um, seeing symbols. And it's one of those weird, weird for me, I guess, instant recognition. Um, I would see a symbol and think, oh, I know exactly what that means and exactly what I'm supposed to say about what I'm seeing as I'm talking to the person across from me. So it, it starts, sometimes I see colors, uh, sometimes I will literally get um, a sensation like I've walked into a field of static electricity. And usually that's when somebody's talking to me and I'll start getting those, those tingles, I suppose, best way to say it. And then literally as I'm talking and I'm hitting on information that's important for that person to know and important for that person to hear, then I really get almost like goosebumps. And then that static electricity feeling uh, just makes the hair on your arm stand up, literally. Uh, and I've gotten to where um, somebody might ask a question um, that is related to, and I'll say I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I can't diagnose anything, but a little medical intuitiveness comes into this as well. I've gotten to where um, I will look at someone and say, okay, so what's going on with your feet? Something. Uh, and they walked in perfectly normal. Not that I would see there was any indication there was an issue. 
And they just give me this deer in the headlight look like, what? How did you know that? <laughs> Say, I just, I'm supposed to talk about this. So you don't have to tell me anything, but let me tell you what I noticed. So that's kind of morphed into this as well. So um, and it's weird. It's like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I, I, I never know for sure what a reading is going to turn into because nothing is the same. Like I could read for you one time, the next time I read for you, it might be a completely different experience for me. Um, as I begin my, my process, grounding, centering, uh, my protection, all of that, that I, my, my routine that I do, I always ask that the information that comes through me is only what the person, the client needs to hear or needs to know about and hoping that spirit would help them understand or make a connection with what I, I talk about. And I, I don't ask any questions. I, I might maybe two times I would ever ask a question if they're asking about relationships or if um, they're asking about a specific person, I like to ask the first name and the age of the person. Beyond that, I don't want them to tell me their story. I don't want them to give me any information, any, well, here's how this happened, or here's what's going on. I, I don't really want to know any of that. I just want to be able to put the cards out and know what subject or topic or person the person wants to talk about, and then I just go from there. What would you say is the most challenging thing about reading for someone? Oh, gosh. I don't want to let the ego get in the way. <laughs> but sometimes it does when what I'm saying to the person, to me, might not make sense. It might not add up. But I'm thinking that I know this is exactly what they need to know. This is what they need to hear. And it's just like the wall is up. And everything I say just bounces right off of that wall. I think that's the most challenging thing when I'm thinking, ah, oh, if I could just get through, <laughs> get through to you and give you the information that you need. And then from there, I always tell people, you know, take some time to process it and mm -hmm. think about it and do with it what you will. You can just totally throw it out the window if you want to, or you can think on it and you know, utilize information, however that works best for that person. But that's probably the most challenging thing is when I, I'm thinking, I don't know what else I can do. There's How else can I say this? How else can I make a connection that they will be receptive to? That's probably the, the biggest challenge. Well, in readings you've done for me, you've brought up things that haven't happened yet. And the things you've brought up are just things that I can't imagine at the time how that possibly pertains to me at all whatsoever. You know, it just... It, it just doesn't make sense. And then lo and behold, three months later, here it comes. And I'm like, wow, she knew what the heck she was talking about. And it's not anything I could have dreamt up in my mind at the time. So, you know, even in some cases, it's not a wall. It's just a, well, that doesn't make sense. Like nothing like that is happening in my life. You know, you're just pulling that out of thin air and no, you're not. You're just seeing something, you're hearing something, you're getting a message for something that's upcoming that, you know, I hadn't even entertained happening. So you know, I encourage anybody who decides to get a tarot reading for the first time, just like you said, go in with an open mind, just receive the information, take it for what it's worth, digest it. You know, for me, I take tons of notes or I record the session or whatever, so I can go back and really dive in and kind of dissect it a little bit and then wait and see what happens. And that's why I keep coming back to you because you are right. 
literally 95% of the time so far. I could say 100%, but some things haven't happened quite yet. Um, right. You know I don't want to ever be 100%. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right. But do you know what your accuracy rate is from, from talking to people? Do they come back to you like I do and go, oh my gosh, um, you know, you're, you're spot on with everything? I will say that from the feedback that I've received over the years, you know, going back to when I first started, even when I just had the little booklet and, and kept looking up, I don't know that I, twice I've had somebody come to me and say, you were completely wrong. Can't believe, you know, you totally missed everything. There's not a single thing that you hit. And my response is, oh, well, okay. You know, thanks for letting me know. Sure. That happens sometimes. And then not more than a week to two weeks after they said, oh, you were completely wrong. They came back and said, oh, um, can I take that back? Because what you talked about just happened. <laughs> and I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, it did. Do you remember when you said, and I have to stop and say, no, I don't remember what I said. Because I rarely remember um, what I'm talking about in readings. I will remember your face and possibly your name. Um, that, and we've had a reading together, but beyond that, um, I don't remember details. It's not for me to remember. It's for the person who's sitting across from me. So you're the, you're it's just, the vessel. You're the vessel sharing the information. You're not there to retain it. And exactly. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to retain that and store that. And it's so funny though. When I don't yet know that there's anybody who's said um, that I've been completely wrong at all. And, and again, not letting the ego get in the way by any means, because if I have been wrong, I totally love the feedback. I appreciate when people will, will let me know um, what their experience was and even follow up afterwards. I, I really, um, I won't say I thrive on that, but I think it helps me do better than I have done when I hear feedback from clients. Well, and it's got to help continue your confidence. I've, I've got to think in everything as well, because, um, you know, I'm, a tarot card reader as well. And one of the first things I learned from you is to trust your intuitiveness. After the, you know, first or second class I did, you had us reading to each other and not looking at the cards in the book or, or anything like that. Just trust your intuition. And the very first time I did it for somebody, I hit the nail on the head. And it was a shocking moment for me when you realize, okay, wow, there is something there, but you have to trust yourself. You have to trust that what is coming through you is the right information that you need to be sharing. And, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of skeptics out there. There are a lot of people that think someone like you or I just speak in general terms, you know, bring up general things like, you know, oh, there's something wrong with your feet or, oh, there's something wrong with this. You know, you tend to get specific with things. It's not general. It's very specific. So what would you say to the skeptics out there that think, what we're talking about is a bunch of hooey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I will say everyone can believe whatever they choose and they don't have to believe that what I do is a real thing. Um, it, it's completely up to them to make that decision. And I never want to be in a position where somebody thinks that I'm pushing something onto them because that's totally not my intention by any means. Um, I've, I've had skeptics sit down with me and say, you know, here's my money, you know, give me a reading. And um, my response is, well, okay, what would you like to talk about? And at that point, they just give me this weird look like, well, what do you mean? 
I'm like, well, it just helps focus if you could let me know a topic or if there's a question that you have. Um, and then I give a few examples. And um, generally, by the time the reading's over, even if it's a quick 10, 20-minute type reading, um, by the time it's over, they start to have a different perspective. <laughs> and I, I'm not there to grandstand. I'm not there to um, prove anything. I will just, and I always tell them, I'm just going to share with you what I'm hearing, what I'm getting, and I'll let you make the connections at that point. Uh, so I don't know that I've really had a skeptic who's walked away a complete skeptic after having a reading. Well, how do you handle the criticism that you have received? Um, you know, is it something that you've learned not to take personally? And is that something you struggled with early on? Um, I will say early on, yeah, I did struggle with that, thinking like, well, you know, I need to give them this information and I need to take it to heart. And then the more I grew and the more I learned and the more I expanded my, my knowledge and resources, um, it became very clear that, ooh, that's, that's, and I always, you know, talk about the ego, like, get, let that get in the way, like, that, that can become a very negative thing, and um, now I, I'm more, maybe because I'm older, a little more seasoned, I guess, I will say, you don't have to believe, if you don't think what I'm saying is anything that makes sense to you, that's perfectly fine, um, if you hear something that you can connect with, that's great, any small little thing is a great thing, but, you know, you don't have to, to believe. And I always tell people, if you don't feel like you're getting what um, you had hoped for out of a reading, we can stop at any time. And I would rather stop a reading and not have someone pay me for that reading than to say, oh, but you owe me because we had this much time together. I would rather say, no, let's just call it good. If you don't feel like you had a good experience, um, it's not a problem. And I, I would rather take that route. And I've, I've done that a couple times. And I've only had one person who said, okay, that's fine. And they, they left and there was no payment. And that was totally fine with me. But I don't do this to make money. Um, I really more in service to people doing it to help. And um, in and another instance, they were like, yeah, no. And then by the time they decided they were done and going to leave, then they uh, decided that they had gotten a little bit more out of it than they had anticipated. And um, at that point, I'm like, yeah, you, you really don't have to pay for the reading. It's not a problem. I'm just glad that you took the time to sit down with me. But they went ahead and, and compensated me anyway. So that was, that was okay. So, Chris, I know you've had a lot of experiences with hauntings, you know, ghosts, the afterlife. Can you share any of your experiences that have stood out to you? Oh, yes, totally. Um, I, I feel like I have a story for everything. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I, I will say, um, I told the story earlier about seeing the man walking across the backyard. And I can kind of tie that into this, where it turned out that I was seeing a residual um, haunting, if you want to call it that, but a residual of um, somebody that I had never met before, but it was my, uh, my dad's father, my grandfather. And his routine was, um, he would work out in his shed in the backyard and then he would walk from the shed in um, across the yard into the back door of their house and my grand my grandma lived next door to us growing up so our house was was built um, on part of the yard basically 
Um, so I would see that residual of him opening the back door and walking up into the back of the house. And kind of a cool confirmation with that is when my younger sister um, got married and they lived in the house for a while, they would hear somebody walking up the two or three steps up from the back door to the back porch. And they would hear the door open between the back porch and the kitchen and open and close. There was nobody there. And sometimes um, come home after nobody's been there and the lights are on and then, or the lights would, would be turned off after they left them on. So kind of cool. So I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy <laughs> with that. But that's like the very first thing. Um, another thing that was, I think, really defining for me, I was probably in, um, I'm going to say maybe third or fourth grade and um, was in Girl Scouts. And it just so happened our troop met at a local church that um, our family attended. Big, huge brick building with art glass windows built in like 1887. Um, and um, the leaders had gone to do something and you know, probably go down to the grocery store and get refreshments, whatever. So we were out playing. And um, a couple other friends were with me and we were getting ready to walk into the side door of the church um, in order to probably go to the bathroom or something like that. And um, we literally stopped like right inside the door. And there was this woman who was um, a Victorian era. She had her hair, um, dark hair up in a bun. And um, she literally floated from the right, which would be the door to the sanctuary, across uh, the vestibule to the left. And that would have been kind of like the Sunday school room, social hall area. And um, literally, she had this very stern look on her face, and her head was turned, like looking, making direct eye contact at us as she kind of floated from that door. Um, all I still get goosebumps talking about it. Um, and we didn't quite see 100% of her body. Saw like her, her head, her torso, and part of her skirt. Um, and literally, she just floated by staring at us like, I see you, but, you know, nothing beyond that. That was probably one of the coolest things I'd ever witnessed. Um, and gosh, that was back, you know, probably 1975, 1976, I guess, about that time. And then it just kind of goes from there. I mean, just randomly notice people that nobody else saw. Like, there's nobody there in that corner, but I see somebody standing there. Um, practically every house that I've lived in has been haunted. Um, probably the most two most haunted places I lived in. I lived in Lexington, Missouri for a while when I taught and this tiny little um, four room brick bungalow, probably built about 1918 thereabouts. And um, it was probably my first experience with, um, I guess I would call it a portal where um, I would come home and, um, take off a bracelet or earrings, whatever it might be, and lay it on the dining room table. And um, I'd come back through a little bit later and everything would be gone off the table, completely vanished. I'm thinking, all right, what did I do? <laughs> did I, and I, you know, in a four room house, you have your living room, your bedroom, your dining room, and a kitchen was a bump out, not many places to put things. And I think, well, what did I do with that? Completely vanished, couldn't find it. Yeah, am I crazy? What is going on? And then maybe a week or two weeks later, I'd come home from work and the earrings or bracelet or both would be laying on the kitchen counter by the kitchen sink or on the floor, right on the carpet, right in front of the kitchen sink. Um, just interesting things like that. Um, 
And it really didn't freak me out too much. It's like, okay, this is kind of weird. This is interesting stuff that's happening. And the same house uh, had chair rail all the way around the living room. And um, I, I will preface this by saying I was the only one that had a house key. The previous um, tenants in the house had lost their house keys. And they had built a new house across town. And um, the people that I rented from said, well, this is the only key we have. But um, we know where you work. You work for the school district. We can find you. You can find us. So don't worry about it. So I had the only key to the house. So I knew nobody was coming into the house when I was gone. There's no way anybody would be messing with anything. And I would come home. I had little knickknacks and books and things. And the books were from my mom's mom, my grandmother. Um, those little ladies' um, society reading collections of the classics, the tiny little books. Um, and they're really cool. So I had them propped up around for decoration, and I would come home, there'd be a stack of books in the middle of the living room floor. And I'm thinking, okay, I this is interesting, and I'd pick them up and I'd put them back on. And um, I'd cleaned out my closets um, in the bedroom, and the bed was just piled high. I'm thinking, I am just going to sleep on the couch. And here I am sleeping in the living room, and um, I'm not sure exactly what woke me up, and as I'm laying on my back and I look up, here's a book from the chair rail, which would have been, even with my head, on, on the railing, um, literally moving in the air over my head and landing on the floor. Thankfully, it didn't hit me. I mean, it was just a slow thing. Just like, whoop, there it goes. Like somebody took it off and laid it on the floor, like right next to the um, part of the couch that my, my pillow was where my head was laying. Now that kind of unnerved me just a little bit. Like that is really strange. Um, and at that point I'm thinking, well, I can't go into the bedroom because the bed's piled high with all the junk I'd taken out of the closet. So I think I'm just going to close my eyes and just lay here and just let it go. I, nothing ever bothered me, never had any, um, anything that I would feel dangerous or worrisome. And I always say, I mentioned earlier, like, big things happen when I have change occurring. And same thing, I was getting ready to change jobs. And it was time for me to start you know, getting ready to move. And I mowed the lawn, and I popped in the shower. And um, at the house, you couldn't have gotten to the front door from the street because there was, like, a one of those little concrete bridges, but it had long since gone, so a giant ditch and a big hill. And everybody used the back door. If they knew you, it went to the back door. So I'm in the shower, and I hear this loud pounding on the front door. And I'm thinking, okay, this is really weird, and grabbed a towel, wrapped up, and such a tiny house, take three steps, and you can see, and there's a window right by the front porch, so clearly you can see there's nobody standing out on the front porch. And I hopped out of the shower fast enough that no one could have run and jumped that ditch and gotten to the street fast enough to get away. And um, I'm thinking, okay, that is just really odd. There is nobody here. And then I turned and looked in the living room, and I had this giant sofa-sized painting propped up on the chair rail. And that painting was propped up at an angle on the floor touching the end table. And the end table was filled with a lamp that had a glass base and little glass figurines and knickknacks, and they were all in perfect order. Like, literally, it was like somebody had pulled that painting off of the, of the picture, off of the chair rail, and literally propped it up on the floor at an angle. Um, and it was sofa size. It was huge. And there's no way that painting could have fallen off of oak frame glass cover, fallen off of the chair rail, and not destroyed that lamp and all the little figurines. 
at that point, I'm like, okay, somebody's letting me know something big's happening here, <laughs> and it's probably time to go with that. But yeah, that was interesting. So, well, I'm gonna ask you about another um, experience to see if you've had it. So, I tend, I think, I forgot what it's called now, it may be like um, Lighthouse or something like that. Like, I tend to attract um, spirits, entities, whatever, mostly from a negative fashion. And so I have a problem going to antique stores and things like that. I really have to ground myself and cleanse myself and everything before I go in and when I come out. And, you know, I've brought home, uh, it was funny that you mentioned books. I brought home some really cool old books um, to the house and I put them in our little library and then just crazy stuff started happening. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, volatility in the house like my husband and I were fighting much more than normal very aggressively and not really understanding why electronics would go on and off for no apparent reason just all sorts of stuff started happening and so came to realize that it was one of these books basically I had had a reading through someone else and they basically stated you know you're you're dealing with someone who's very angry in the afterlife they were murdered um, they want you to help figure out who murdered them and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, well, I don't got time for that. So <laughs> I, had, I had to do a whole house cleansing and a cleansing of myself and everything. Um, with what you do, do you have any issues with that ever of having a spirit attach onto you? Um, yeah, I had that happen before I even really knew about working with intuition. Like back when I was younger, had that happen um, a couple times and um, just one of those odd things where I loved um, trying out psychic fairs and would sit down with somebody for a reading and without me even asking the person across the table said hey you need to know about this and this happened and I'm gonna you know give you some tips and tricks to help you know how to ground yourself and protect yourself and prevent this from happening and um, a couple times, it was one of those, people talk about sleep paralysis, except I really didn't have sleep paralysis, but I had the feeling that somebody literally like ran at me and tried to launch themselves at me and like jump on my chest, like trying to literally jump into me. Um, and that happened quite a few times. I'm thinking, I am so calm. I don't have anxiety. I know it's not an anxiety attack. Yeah, I'm just laying here wanting to take a quick little nap kind of thing. Um, and that's when I really started learning more about, um, you know, negative vibrations, negative en energy, uh, making sure that you're protected. And that's one of the things that I really stress when I teach classes and work with clients. And I always um, stress you have to make sure that you know how to ground yourself. If you don't, let me give you some information about how to do that or you can find information. You really need to make sure you're protecting your energy and um, remember that, you know, spirits have different vibrations from low to high, negative to very positive. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely. And funny, you talk about bringing home books. I have a favorite little um, antique store in Atchison, Kansas that I love to go to. And I found this really awesome um, suitcase that somebody had, well, it was like 1960s or 70s suitcase, plastic that they had painted black and um, stenciled on it like tarot or palm reader or tarot cards or something like that. Really cool. And, um, you know, futures told, really a fun 
um, souvenir. I'm like, oh, that is mine. I've got to buy that and take that home. Well, I did. And I never thought anything about it because I was actually there doing readings. So I was grounded and protected and all of that that I normally do. And then I buy this item and I bring it home and it had been sitting out in my garage. I'm thinking, yeah, I need to bring this in and take a look and where am I going to put it? I wanted it to go up in my office. And um, it sat downstairs for quite a while and I brought it up and I should have known. <laughs> it was like hindsight 2020, should have known. I didn't smudge it or cleanse it before I brought it upstairs. And I set it up in there and then it was one of those it was really sneaky, I will say, because it was very, I, I don't know how intelligent it was, but it knew enough that it could conceal itself, so I didn't know it was there, the little entity, I will say entity, that it, that was attached to that suitcase. Well, the little antique mall that I got it from, or antique store, um, is haunted. It's got lots of things going on, so who knows where this little thing came, and I say little thing because it was probably about a foot and a half tall, maybe no more than two feet tall. Um, and I noticed, like, I'm hearing, like, rustling, like somebody's moving around in my office. And I'm thinking, well, this is kind of weird. They're, you know, I don't have mice or anything. <laughs> like, what is going on? And um, one night, just one of those random things where this little entity, little dark black um, figure, um, dashed from one end of the hallway into the hallway bathroom, like a straight line. I was actually in the master bedroom, and, and at the time, thinking like, holy crap, you can't be here. This is not your place. You know, own my space, take my, you know, take the ground, and, you know, you try to do, you have to leave, and you don't belong here. This is not your space. Uh, that didn't work. So I literally had to get in and do, um, I think I used Palo Santo instead of Sage. And, you know, smudge the heck out of everything, myself, the space. And, um, you know, looking back, and it worked because it, it was gone. Um, I promptly brought the item downstairs, took it out in the garage, and um, smudged it like crazy and cleansed it and all that great stuff. And probably here I am looking for the positive and everything. Thank goodness it didn't come into my space, my master bedroom. And I always say, man, this place is locked down tight. You know, I've got everything protected and cleansed and nothing's getting in here. And then what do I do? <laughs> I bring an item home and I forget to cleanse it before I bring it in and add it to my, my life, my stuff. So it's less crazy that we have similar stories, but thankfully mine is not negative. It's good. I did the same thing. I bought like a 1950s makeup case. <gasps> Oh, um, cool. and cause it was just cool. It looked like something like my mom had when I was a kid and stuff. It was just, you know, a little older and I didn't even look that closely at it when I bought it. It was just in mint condition. I loved it. I had to have it, bought it from the same antique mall I go to all the time, get it home and find out that it's got, um, a name and address and everything inside of it. And so I started getting obsessed with doing research on who owned this and it was just this fascinating woman that her and her husband were world travelers. And this little, little tiny makeup case went all over the world and everything. And I just kind of got a travel bug after that. It was kind of like, it was, wow. it was good energy. It wasn't bad energy coming off of it. So, you know, it's not always that you're going to buy something that has negative energy attached to it. But man, when it does, it can upend your world for sure. You can have all sorts of crazy things happen that, you know, if you don't recognize that, you think you're just 
quietly going crazy. But, you know, once you recognize it and can do the protection and the cleansing and all of that, you know, it, you can still have that item. You don't have to throw it out or whatever, but you know, I'm somebody who believes that we're all energy and everything we touch, especially something that's very personal to us, that energy carries with it. So yeah, I am. I'm very careful when I go to the antique mall now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I I don't even like to touch things unless I know it's something that I'm really interested in picking up and and I'm going to buy that and take it home with me. I'm not one of these, let me walk through randomly and pick all the stuff up and touch it because I'm like, no, who knows, you know, what what energy is there. Um, And connected story to Atchison, um, I did readings um, at a really cool consignment store, antique store, and... um, it's interesting as I was doing readings, I would look up and see you know, somebody standing down the end of the aisle and the owner, she's like, oh yeah, that's that red hat that belonged to the lady. And she would buy everything from estate sales and things like that. And she goes, oh yeah, there's lots of people around here that are attached to the objects. I'm like, well, yeah, I can see them. <laughs> They're here. And, you know, and yeah, yeah. because I would be there again, and I wouldn't see uh, a spirit that I'd seen before, and I noticed, oh, yeah, that red hat's gone. Well, yeah, somebody bought the hat. Well, the spirit went with the hat. I'm like, oh, they just brought somebody home with them. <laughs> and it's easy to do. And um, for people listening who don't know, Atchison, Kansas is one of the most haunted towns in the entire world. Um, can you, do you know much about it? Can you tell people about Atchison? I don't know, okay. I don't know that much. Um, I do know. Um, I connected up with um, some really neat ladies who are from Atchison, and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door up there and made some really great friends and started doing readings. And um, Atchison has a spirit river, um, which is, yeah, and I think it, and correct me if I'm wrong, good information, I hope, um, is connected to ley lines in the land. And um, the energy literally flows down like the length of a street, like from the west headed east down toward the river. And um, it literally went through uh, <clears throat> one of the ladies that I uh, met in Atchison who owned um, the... I was with you. I was yeah. with you. For, well, are you talking about the one at the house that we were at getting the readings where there was a... Uh, um, it was like a sea captain or something like that, like a river captain in the basement, basically. So, yeah, that was at my friend's house. Yeah. And um, the, I don't think the lady who owned the business um, that I was talking about where our, um, I did readings was there, but um, that Spirit River ran through her house that she lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, but fascinating stuff. But, yeah, and the house that we were at when we um, were there for, for readings um, there was some interesting people hanging out there. The owners of the house um, were there as well, the husband and wife. And uh, yeah, the, the river captain uh, liked the basement a lot. And he just kind of hung out. And he was pretty yeah. sure he didn't And really if I remember correctly, he liked women. He didn't he mind did. feminine energy, but men he was not a fan of. So. Right. Totally not a fan of men. That'd be competition for him, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but for anybody interested in stuff like this around uh, Halloween, Atchison is the place to be for sure. And there's a lot of uh, famous homes that are haunted that you can do, um, you know, uh, tours in and stay overnight and ghost hunts and all that stuff. It's, It's super fascinating, but you certainly get 
a different vibe when you cross over into Atchison. You just feel that the energy is very strong there. So fun yeah. vacation spot <laughs> yeah, for, cool us, place. For, for us that like that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't like it, you probably don't want to go. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing those stories. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And, and that's, again, I encourage people to just have an open mind with everything. Cause I think we all have experiences that we just sometimes pass off, you know, whether you see a shadow out of the corner of your eye or something's out of place or whatever, you tend to try to explain it away rather than seeing it for potentially what it is. So, um, yeah, I encourage everybody to just, again, keep an open mind. Exactly. You never know what you might find. So you go by the name Autumn's Glow. Where did that come from? That's kind of, that's kind of a cool story. Uh, my birthday is the end of October, almost Halloween, but not quite. And I, that's my favorite season. I love autumn. So I thought about well, what are these cool things that, that I love so much about autumn. And I thought, well, how the sun starts setting in the evening and it's bright orange and it just glows on um, all the leaves that are on the ground. And the, the cool crisp wind and all that really neat, neat October stuff. So that's really how I came up with Autumn's Glow. And I didn't want to start out um, using my name, like Readings by Chris or something, because of my, my, my day job. <laughs> because, you know, working in education, um, you do have to be very careful about, you know, what you would choose to talk about, and especially at work in K-5. So I, I had to choose a name that I thought would be um, representative of, ooh, this is like, favorite things for me. So if they're favorite for me, people will get that I'm really invested in this because this is my favorite season. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I, I came about uh, using Autumn's Glow. So eventually when I'm done in my career as a um, school librarian that I want to transition um, away from using Autumn's Glow and just really get into, it's, it's just Chris. Chris does the readings and Yes. I've had people call me Autumn before, like, hey, Autumn, how are you? And I smile, like, hey, I'm great, how are you? <laughs> I just let it go. I don't want to correct anybody, like, no, I'm not Autumn. But That's hey, what I thought your name you. was at first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what inspires you? Oh, wow, what inspires me? Um, I would say I'm, I'm mostly inspired by... Um, the growth that not only I am able to achieve in talking to people, doing readings, studying, mentoring, um, but also seeing the growth in the clients that sit down with me. And I always call it a visit, I think, more so than like a reading or a session. Like, well, thanks for sitting down and visiting with me. I think that's probably my, my biggest inspiration is what other people can get from um, the experience. Do you have an idea of what you want your legacy to be? Oh, my gosh. Um, I haven't asked anybody that question yet. You're the first. The first. <laughs> so no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> okay. Well, really, there's no pressure um, at all. Um, my legacy, I, well, gosh, I would say um, I would hope that uh, people would consider me a, um, a teacher, a mentor, a student, 
and um, someone who is willing to be open-minded and listen and learn from other people, but also being human in the process, <laughs> because not perfect, never would ever want to claim to be perfect because we're all, we're all human. We all have that shadow side um, as well. So yeah, I think that those would be the things that I would, would hope that people would remember me for in my second career. We'll call it air quotes, second career. <laughs> well, you just brought up something very interesting because, of course, um, there's probably a lot of people listening who don't know what your shadow side is, who doesn't know what doing shadow work is all about. And I've just recently discovered it and have been doing workshops to discover it. And it's some pretty hardcore stuff when you have to come to terms with a side of yourself that you tend to try to ignore. Um, did that factor in at all for you when you were becoming, you know, tuning into your intuitiveness to becoming a tarot card reader? Did you have to do that shadow work yourself first to kind of almost break yourself down and understand who you are as a person before you could share messages with others? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would think that happened to me initially, um, Oh my gosh, I'm going to say maybe, you know, the, the years kind of blur, but I would target probably the year 2000, 2001. Um, I think that was probably just a defining year for me on, as I'm sitting here like perplexed, like, yeah, I think um, learning a whole lot more about um, who I was, what I would accept and not accept um, from people around me. I think that was probably a big defining moment. And then kind of taking, taking that and um, springboarding into um, what makes me tick. Like, why do I think the way I think and act the way I do in some situations? And um, am I wasting my energy on things that really don't um, amount to a lot? <laughs> Am I giving my energy away? So I think that was a big defining moment for me. Um, and I think it was probably about a year or so um, where it was just really intensely um, me focusing on all of those things. And that's not anything that I've really talked about with other people. People are like, what do you mean you did shadow work? And and probably at that time, I didn't know that's what it was. I just knew it was something that um, had to happen and things that I needed to really consider and think about. And I think the coolest thing out of that is when that process was coming to an end for me, it was like I had an awakening. Um, when I was just wake up one morning and you're thinking, whoa, the world is different for me. And I am so glad that I have a different perspective. And from that point on, um, I really learned um, that things like anger really don't deserve my energy. Um, I always really want to focus on taking the high road in situations, and there's no need to try to do anything that would be underhanded or undermining. Not that I did that before, but just seeing things that had occurred, knowing that that's not a choice that I would want to make. And sometimes it's a struggle to make that choice because you're like, oh, I could go there <laughs> in situations. But I'm like, wait a minute. If I go there, I am just starting a spiral that I don't want to go down. 
And um, yeah, well, I'm sure you're being angry, but you're the nicest person I've ever met. I can't imagine you ever getting cross or angry about anything. So you've obviously done a very good job with your shadow work. It's like a dual personality. <laughs> like you don't see that side of me. <laughs> well, 2020 is proving to be an incredibly transformative year for the whole planet. What is your view right now on everything that's going on from a spiritual standpoint? Um, well, I will say that I feel like energetically I've been hugely affected by what's going on in 2020. I just feel like um, there's so many times where I just feel like I've been depleted of energy and really run down. And almost you, you think of that, um, that picture of somebody who's like clawing their way through the desert, like their fingernails are digging into sand and they're pulling themselves forward. Sometimes I've, I've had that like, wow, I don't know that I can get out of bed. And I am just completely you know, feeling like I've been run over by a truck. And um, it's just an odd year. I don't know that I've had a year that I felt like that. But then I take a look at what's been going on in the world and how um, I, I try to look at that and how it focuses back on energy as opposed to the actions that people take. And um, I just feel like, wow, this year is just people have expended energy like crazy. Um, not going to give my personal opinion about whether I think they should or shouldn't do that. But I feel like, you know, globally, I think we're all feeling that to some extent. And um, I, I really feel like, you know, how much more do we have left of 2020? And am I going to have moments where I don't feel like that 99% of the time? It, it's really fascinating that um, I know in education, we pretty much shut down in March. And most people are like, woo, they had a vacation. No, not really. <laughs> a lot of hard work involved in that, but then adding all of the personal energy and the effects um, that, that I have felt, I kind of feel like I've been run through the mill, if you will, um, and kind of looking forward to December getting here really fast <laughs> to see maybe there might be a shift or a change that we're going to start seeing that we can come out on the other side of this, hopefully for 2021. But yeah, it's, um, it's been an interesting progression, I will say. It has been. And that is going to be a good time to transition into our little segment that I call Find Your Montrospective. Um, right now, more than ever, it's hard for people to stay positive every day. We allow the littlest things to ruin our mood. So I'm going to give you a scenario, and it's going to be your job to find your good, the good in that situation, no matter what it is. So are you ready? I'm ready. Here <laughs> <Okay>. we go. <laughs> so it's very timely. You've lost your job due, the due to the pandemic. Jobs in your field are scarce, but you're able to get a job outside your field that pays less money. Find your mom perspective. Okay, so I'm going to start with being able to find another job. Is And I, I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna, but I definitely try to find positive in as much as I can. So in that situation, um, and things regarding like losing a job, those are usually big things for me. Like there's a big shift or a big change coming when something like that happens. So I initially would have that gut reaction like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I lost my job. What am I going to do? 
and you know, give myself a little 24 hour, <laughs> 36 hours to kind of wallow in it. And then after that, take a look at, okay, so there's a reason this happened. Complete reason why I'm no longer doing what I was doing before. Now, where do I go from here? At that point, okay, pick yourself up. Um, let's take a look at what's out there. What do you want to do? Can you take advantage of this change? Um, it also might be, I, I look at this as a personal message for me. Maybe there's some things that need to be pared down that I've been used to, a style of life I've been used to. And by any means, I don't live very extravagantly at all, but maybe there's some things I need to tighten up or let go of that I haven't been willing to let go of. And this is the universe saying, I'm going to kick you in the butt. <laughs> and it's going to hurt, but you know what? You need to figure figure out what you can do to come out on top of this. So I think that's probably my mantra perspective is finding a way to come out on top and to, to view it in a positive fashion and, and learn from what happened and why it happened. I think that's important. You just described my life right now to a T. I couldn't have said it any better myself. So brilliant. <laughs> Um, what mantra do you say to yourself to keep yourself going? Ooh, um, that, for me, that's really easy. Um, I am known for saying the universe always provides. That's my, my big thing. And it's funny, I had a conversation with um, somebody that, that you and I know very, very well. Um, and um, I, I read for both of them as well, a couple and we just had that conversation the other day about, you know, Chris always says the universe will provide. And even though we doubt it sometimes, we have to remember, you know, it, it's going to happen. It's going to be okay. And sure enough, it does. And I can't um, think of a time where the universe didn't provide in a situation that might not be what I wanted, but it was probably the important thing that I needed in the situation but there was always an outcome that was important for me to experience and a lesson for me to learn from, from what happened. And then what am I going to do now? Where am I going to go from here? So what am I going to learn as I move forward? So yeah, the universe always provides. That is beautiful advice to end our podcast right now. So Chris, I am so happy you decided to share your gifts with others You've been a guiding force for me personally in the challenging times of my life, especially right now. And you're just a positive, awesome person to be around. So I highly recommend Chris for a reading. If you'd like to learn more about Chris and possibly book a reading, you can email her at autumnsglowtarot at gmail.com, or you can actually text her at 816 517 one one zero three and i will share all that information on my social media channels as well um chris thanks again for joining me and i will talk to everyone again soon remember your thoughts become your reality you have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true dream it believe it manifest it have a great week and i'll talk to you again soon